Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Well, good morning, church. Everybody having a good week? So no, then. says so a no. No to the good week. Sorry. Sorry. I wish, I wish that you were having a good week. Well, we're going to talk this morning. We're continuing our series, Trapped, and we're talking about pride. Nobody ran for the door, so all right, we're good. It, it's not exactly something that I think is, is really fun to talk about. I'm, I'm just going to be honest. Uh, pride is is one of those things that I think one could argue that pride is linked to literally every sin that we might commit in our life. In some way or another, pride uh, could be said to be at the root of all those, of any and all sin. And so, it is, if you're familiar with uh, the Bible and, and, and the story of Lucifer being kicked out of heaven, I mean, ultimately we believe that is the case because of pride. And so it is something that we all deal with or will impact us in some way or another uh, at some point. And so I want to share with you this morning where I think I deal with pride the most. And I'm going to say out of the gate, it's probably not, when you hear me say it, you're going to say, oh, that's not really pride. That's just you being impatient. But I think that the Lord is telling me that it's pride and is dealing with me in that. And so where I think I deal with pride the most is when I am driving around town and I get stuck behind someone who has nowhere else to be or go. You know what I mean? Like you get stuck behind somebody and it's like, wow, they really don't have anything going on today at all other than to just be in my way. And what I feel like I have discovered is, or God is teaching me is, is that the thought process I have in those moments, the thoughts that I have, the feelings that I have, is basically me saying my schedule... My time, my job, my, my day, ultimately me, I am more important than they are. I am more important than you are if you are in my way of what I need to get done or what I'm doing. Pride can be defined like this. Pride is an inwardly directed emotion that carries two antithetical meanings. With a negative connotation, pride refers to a foolishly and irrationally corrupt sense of one's personal value, status, or accomplishments. Let me say that last part again, just because I don't want you to miss it. Pride refers to a foolishly and irrationally corrupt sense of one's personal value, status, or accomplishments. Used synonymously with hubris. I heard it said this way. Pride is the burden of a foolish man. Pride is foolishness. So when I'm in my car losing my mind because somebody in front of me has nowhere to be anywhere in the next century, they're just in my way going as slow as they can possibly go, and I'm saying things and thinking things that I shouldn't be, I am just being foolish and prideful. Anybody want to admit that maybe they've been there before you've had that moment 
Now, this is just one example. I mean, we could take turns coming up and probably share story after story. We won't, uh, just in case you were worried. Uh, But we could share a story or six of where we've probably dealt with pride, right? Where this has come out in some way. And what's interesting is, is that when we allow pride to take over in our lives, it can be absolutely detrimental to our relationship with Jesus, to our marriage, to our parenting, to our work, and our friendships, and basically any relationship that we would have, and ultimately our lives. And I don't know about you, but I think pride is one of those things that's really easy to see in somebody else. We see it clear as day in somebody else, but rarely, if ever, do we see it in ourselves. And even if we do see it in ourselves, we don't want to deal with it. Amen? It's easier to just kind of sweep it under the rug and be like, well, not me, but that guy, over my neighbor, I know a guy, you know, he is prideful. And, and we've all seen it. I mean, you, you could probably come and share a story of somebody that you know whose marriage was wrecked and ruined in some way by a prideful heart. Or maybe you know somebody who is a parent and they have a strained relationship with their child because of pride. Because they've let pride rule in their lives. We've probably worked for bosses that we thought were really prideful. Or worked with people that were really prideful. Now, again, you don't have to point anybody out no no pointing fingers but we know and we see it in other people but we rarely see it in our own life and I believe if we could find a way to get a handle on pride it could drastically change our lives it could for the positive now it was very difficult to kind of narrow down where to go this morning in Scripture because there are so many Scriptures that deal with pride. I mean, there are so many. And, and, and like we said, you know, if, if almost any sin links back to pride, we'll just pick a Scripture and just, that talks about sin and, and we could go there. And, 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 but this morning, I want to go somewhere that you might not have thought of. Uh, not, not one that would be a typical pride kind of teaching. And it's Luke chapter 5. If you want to turn there and get ready, um, you can do that. But what I want to do is I want to look at a story that shows us the opposite of pride, which is humility. And, and I want to look at that and kind of show us the opposite of a life lived in pride. Now, I could have picked a really, really easy scripture, something really simple, like this one from Proverbs 16, verse 18, out of the message, which says, First pride then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Now that's one, it's a different translation, but that's one we're pretty familiar with, and that's a powerful, powerful scripture. We could have, you know, said that, pray, and just, you know, maybe just chew on that all week long. But I want to I look at a little deeper look here uh, with, with this story in Luke. Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 27. It says this. It says, After this, now, I know people hate when, when we do this, but i got to stop. I can't even go on. Because what is after this? After what? They all went shopping? Had a BK? You know, went to the Burger King? Got a, you know, you know had, had, a, had a burger? No. No, after this was that Jesus had just healed and forgave a man who had been paralyzed. 
And it's the story, if you're familiar with this New Testament story, where, where they literally, the friends bring him on his mat, and the room where Jesus is is so crowded, it's so full of people, that they literally climb up on the roof, and I, I, I don't know this for sure, but I assume that they had to cut a hole in the roof. I imagine there wasn't already a skylight there. They make a skylight and lower him down in to get him in front of Jesus. And he heals this man, and he forgives his sin. Now that's significant because the Pharisees hear of this and they are furious because as they say, nobody can forgive sin except for God. And then we read this with verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a banquet, or a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large number, or sorry, a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. It's kind of like a tax collector's convention, if you will. Um, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now that last verse, I think, is one that if you're familiar with scriptures, you probably have heard that, recited that. That is a great, great verse. But what I want to focus on is what came before, because I think we can easily skip over that and miss the significance. See, tax collectors in the day of Jesus were considered to be the most despicable people uh, around. Maybe still true today. I don't know. That's a debate for another day. You know, awful, awful people. And we read here of a man named Levi. Now, I don't know what your Bible does, but some Bibles will say Levi, parentheses, Matthew. Does anybody have that in their Bible? Just, just like, okay, the rest of you probably just don't have your Bible out. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> a lot of places it does that. It'll say in, in parentheses, Matthew. Why, does he, why, does, why do they refer? Is it two different people? Is it, is it somebody else? No, he had two names. And the reason that he had two names, we often refer to him as Matthew. Um, that's, that's what we would probably normally say. And the reason he had two names was because he was born a Jew. He was given the name Levi. That's, that was his name at birth. He grew up in a home as a ta- and decided later to become a tax collector. It wasn't like he was born to a tax collecting family or anything. He would have been born a Jew. And he grows up, be- decides to become a tax collector for the Romans. He was a traitor to his people because he did this. He was considered a traitor. I mean, he basically... Uh, stole money from his own people. And so in that day, the, the policy that the Romans had for tax collectors was basically, we have a certain percentage we want of your money, and you, Levi, the tax collector, can go out and upcharge that as much as you want. Take as much money off the top as you want. So long as Rome gets her share, we're okay. And so he was literally stealing money from, from many of his own people and, and the people of the land, and, and, and he was getting rich off of them, and, and nobody cared except for the Jews and the people that he was stealing the money from. The Romans didn't mind. They, they were okay with it. But this was such a terrible thing. He was so bad that he had to change his name to Matthew. He, he didn't even want to identify with his people anymore. 
as Levi. He wanted to be called Matthew because he was such a disgrace to his family. Can you imagine being, I mean, I know that many, we've messed up, right? I mean, we've all goofed up and made mistakes in our life, but I don't know if any one of us has ever messed up so bad that we would feel the need to change our name so that we wouldn't even be identified with our family and our heritage anymore. But that's what happened here. Levi changes his name to Matthew, and this is who Jesus decides to dine with. He is, this is who he is considering uh, hanging out with. And he calls these kinds of people to become his followers. The type of people that were so bad, they had to change their name. Now, Jesus from Scripture was considered to be a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is good news for us, friends. This is good news. Because I don't know about you, but we fall into that category of tax collectors and sinners. We have messed up. And Jesus identifies with us and wants to be our friend. He wants to dine with us. He wants to sit down and have a meal with us and go to lunch, go to dinner and hang out. That's good news. But here's why this matters as it relates to pride. Here's why this is important. Because the religious standard of the day... The religious elite of the day, they say, you shouldn't hang out with these kind of people. Their standard, the Pharisees would have said, hey, you can't go hang out with tax collectors. You can't go hang out with sinners. You can't go hang out with those types of people. They were beside themselves because they never would have engaged in the kind of behavior that Jesus did. They never would have hung out with these types of people because they were considered scum of the earth. And yet Jesus, a rabbi, was willing to lower himself enough to go hang out with the scum of the earth. Yeah. Now, as a rabbi, he should have held himself much higher. He should have been above all of us. He should have been above all of these people. He should have never hung out with a tax collector. He should have been a part of the elite. Yet... He is the ultimate example of someone who is willing to humble himself. He could have been prideful, but he humbled himself and lived a life completely of humility. He was willing to lower himself enough to wash the disciples' feet and then to go to a cross and die on a cross. See, this was unheard of in the day of Jesus. Completely unheard of. No other, no other religious teacher, no other prophet, no other rabbi, no other God of this day was doing these kinds of things. This is why this is so significant because, the, I mean, the Romans had all kinds of gods and none of them were humbling themselves. They were over people. They, were, they, were, they wouldn't have associated, they were considered the elite. They would have never associated with these lowly people. They came to be served. But as it says in Matthew, Jesus came to serve and give himself up as ransom for many. No one was doing this. No one. See, I wonder, church, I wonder if we have ever been guilty of holding ourselves too highly in order to commune with and reach out to and minister to the tax collectors, the sinners, and the prostitutes of our world. Do we ever... Think like a Pharisee. 
See, you, you've heard it said, and the, the Scripture says that God only helps those who can help themselves. You've heard that, right? It's in the Bible, right? In Second Hallucinations, chapter 3, verse 4. Hear, hear me, that's not in the Scriptures. That is nowhere in the teachings of Jesus ever. Yet it is probably one of the most believed things to be in the Scriptures and to be in the teaching of Jesus. Actually, Jesus never taught anything like that at all. And He never taught His church to be like that either. To be the type of place that says, we will only help those who can help themselves. We will only help those, those people in the world who, who, who can offer us something. Or, or who have something to bring to the table. No, in fact, as it said in our verse, if you go back and look at the last verse of the text, verse 31, it says, Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. We are sick, and we need Jesus. If we could do it on our own, there would be no need for Jesus to come and die on a cross. We need Jesus, and so does the rest of the world, whether they realize it or not. And His calling to the church and to church people wasn't to love those who can offer a big tithe, bring something to the table, or, or those that we can get something from, but to love those who are sick and in need of a doctor. Those who are desperately lost. Because Jesus says, I don't care what you have to offer me. I don't, want, I don't care what you have for me. I have something for you. It's eternal life in heaven because of a relationship with me. I have something for you, not something from you. All I want from you simply is your heart. All I want is your pride laid down at my feet. All I want is your life surrendered to me, and I have everything for you. I think we capture this in its essence in Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 4 that says this. So he, being Jesus, he got up, from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. See, Peter wanted him a bath. I mean, he's like, can we get a scrub down maybe, you know? Jesus wasn't up for that. It's just the feet, he says. And then in verse 12, says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. See, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that, that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed 
if you do them. See, Jesus came to set an example and abolish pride in our lives. There is not anything about Jesus that would, we could sit here and say exudes unhealthy pride. Nothing. And the, the deal for us is that at the root of every sin, at the root of every sin that we commit is this attitude or this heart that says, I know better. I am better. I don't need God. And all of that comes back to pride. Comes back to us having a heart of pride, which will separate us ultimately from a very humble and loving Jesus. See, our default, whether we realize it or not or are willing to admit it, our default is to be a Pharisee. I don't know about you, but I just love to rate and rank and judge other people. I'll go first. I'll admit that. Right? It feels good, doesn't it? Only as long as you're rating and ranking and judging someone who you think is worse off than you, though, right? Because if you do it to someone who's better than you, you just feel bad. about, And then you just start picking them apart and finding things. Well, their hair looks pretty bad today. And so you just start picking them apart. That's our default, sadly. Jesus' default, however, though, is very different. It is love. It is grace. It is mercy. It is kindness. It is humility. And we have got to let go of our pride if we ever hope to reach our world. If we ever hope to reach the people that we work with in the office or at the bank or wherever we go, we have got to let go of our pride. If we hope as a church to reach the lost of this world, we have got to let go of our pride as a faith community because it will stand in the door in our way of reaching people in this community. It will literally trap us in this building so much so that we are unwilling to go out there and to tell those who don't know Jesus about Jesus. We will create a holy huddle where we just feel really good about ourselves and really good about how we're doing and we will never go out there. Isolation is a terrible, terrible sin. And it's a sermon for another day, but you get that from free of charge. Because that's what happens. When, when you let pride trap you, you begin to isolate yourself from the rest of the world. As I've been thinking about this sermon and, and the fact that VBS is coming up, I was reminded of a couple of years ago when... Uh, Probably like two years ago, I started acting in, in the great and honorable VBS production of Debbie Gary. I mean, it's quite a quality production, folks. I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that TV shows and Netflix is going to be calling soon for me to act in some good, high-quality productions because we've done some amazing stuff with Debbie. Don't be jealous. Talk about that in a couple weeks. But, I mean, she is really like... Kyle and I, uh, her son-in-law, he's in the back here running the computer today, we've, we've had to do some pretty ridiculous stuff to be in these plays. And I was reminded of a couple years ago when I played, I don't even remember what my name was, I was a scientist of some sort. I looked absolutely insane. I had this crazy white hair and, and a lab coat, and, and I don't know. There is no pictures. I'm sorry. 
there will not be any pictures of that. I heard tell that there's a video, and I will pay whatever is necessary to get that video destroyed. <laughs> but Kyle, one of the knights, uh, he, he was uh, cast as a caterpillar. Again, keep in mind, real low-budget production here. We don't have great costuming going on. And so we dressed him up like a caterpillar, and I don't even remember. I think it was like a sleeping bag was his cocoon. And, and he's, he comes out from behind the thing and is like wiggling around on the ground. And, and he's getting ready to turn into a butterfly, and then he turns into this beautiful six-foot-whatever butterfly, and he's literally flying around on the stage. And I'm telling you, it was so funny. Everybody in the room is, I'm laughing so hard, I can't even continue on. The kids are laughing. The parents, the adults in the room are dying. We had to take a time out and then reconvene. It was so hilarious. And I thought about that this week. And it hit me. If we want to reach people, we've got to be willing to lower ourselves so much so that we're willing to dress up like a dumb caterpillar and wiggle around on a stage and look really stupid so that we can turn into a butterfly and we can teach a bunch of kids that Jesus takes a mess, takes something slimy and ugly and, and terrible and turns it into something beautiful. He can make a mess, take a mess and turn it into something amazing. And are we willing, church, to do that? Are we willing to humble ourselves enough that we would star in one of Debbie's great productions as a caterpillar and wiggle around on the stage so that a bunch of kids might get saved? Are we willing to go to work on Monday and lower ourselves enough so that we, you know, that we don't look like the, the, the big, powerful, and important boss, but we might lower ourselves to go and talk to someone who's lower on the pecking order than us at work and, and just hear about what's going on in their life? Maybe they've got something going on and we're going to be willing to humble ourselves enough to go and just listen to their story and say, I don't really know how to fix it, but I'll pray for you. Or maybe to humble ourselves enough to say, you know what? You're going through a really rough time right now and I just want to say I love you and I'm here for you. Are we willing to do that? Not with the hope that we will reach someone necessarily, but that would just be Jesus to people. Because I think if we asked around, almost all of us in here would probably say that we understand how pride works and that pride is a trap in some way in our lives. And it's probably not one of those things that we deal with every day. It may not even be something that we're dealing with in all of our life, like in a whole sort of very, you know, all of areas, but it's in some areas. It's in some small places, and it sneaks in, and it brings about pain and destruction in our lives. And see, the challenge for us this morning, church, is to just be more like Jesus. But isn't that so much easier said than done? It would, I would feel like I failed you if I just come up here and said, hey, just be more like Jesus. Have a great week. See you next Sunday. I mean, well, of course, duh, right? But how? How do we do that? 
How do we become more humble? How do we become more loving? How do we beat pride out of our lives? Well, I want to give you a couple things, a few things here that I think will help us. And uh, this is not original with me. I did not come up with this. Recently, I read uh, Bob Goff's new book, Everybody Always. And in it, he talks about, you can actually go and, and look this up on YouTube and find a story where he tells this kind of story of his life. He, he shares a story about how he had carried around a metal bucket with him for like a year. It was a crazy amount of time. It might not have been a year, but to carry around a metal bucket with you everywhere you go, I think more than like a day is probably too much. So uh, it was a very long time, and he carries this bucket around with him, and he's, he's this is my Lila bucket. Um, he's just been carrying it around, and the idea was is that he believed that there were things that God wanted to put into his life that weren't in his life, and this was the reminder. It's specifically for him, it was patience. He wanted to be a more patient man, and so he's just saying, I'm filling my bucket with patience. And I got to thinking about that, and, and it kind of makes me think of like when we go trick-or-treating. You take your bucket around and you fill it full of candy and some houses they give you the good candy, right? You know they went shopping at the good stores. You know the houses that didn't and you try to avoid those, but every now and then you go to the house that's like, oh man, they got like carrot sticks or whatever, you know. For me, it's when I get, you know, things like, like this, like, like nerds. I don't like nerds. Nerds are disgusting. And, and if you have little kids, they open them and set them on a table like that and then go, and they spill everywhere. They're terrible. And I also hate Smarties. The candy that everybody said they were like putting drugs in when we were kids. Like, don't eat the Smarties. There's razor blades in there. How? Where? I don't see it. Awful. Terrible. Just like pride. Horrible. Who actually likes these things? Who likes nerds? Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Good catch. See, we don't want to fill our bucket with that nonsense. We want to fill it with patience. Fill it full of patience. Or Coke. No, no, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to throw that. Sorry. You can have it afterwards, though. It's even caffeine-free. Anybody? Anybody? Takers? Sorry, I don't know. I'm going to hit somebody if I go that way. I still hit somebody. But we want to fill our bucket... With, with patience. Because when we fill our bucket with patience, pride cannot reside in our life. Pride and patience cannot exist in the same place. They are so opposite of one another. It's really hard to be patient and prideful at the same time. You know, I think about it. It, it is very, very difficult to, to be a patient person. And think only about yourself at the same time. Actually, flip that around. It's very easy to not be patient and think about yourself at the same time. And so if we want to get pride out of our life, we need to fill our bucket with patience. Which means that we are going to be willing to maybe 
give the person that's hurt us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. It means that we're going to be like Jesus and be willing to wash somebody else's feet. It means we're going to lower ourselves before others. And you can't do those things without being patient. It's very difficult. I don't know about you, but there are times when, you know, my kids or, or Allison and I, we're just getting on each other's nerves. And you kind of just want to be like, I am done. with. I'm going outside. I got to go somewhere else. I can't be around you. If I'm around you for another second, I'm going to say something or do something. I'm going to regret. So I'm going to go outside. I'm going to yell at the tree out there, you know, or I'm going to go yell at the mower or whatever, you know. And you know what? We got to fill our bucket with patience. And it's not easy, and it's not going to happen in a moment. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and just be more patient. Lord, please make it so. But it's probably not going to happen. It's going to take practicing tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day as you just keep filling your bucket with the good things. Not the smarties, not the, not the, not the nerds. Keep filling. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 4, 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So we have to bear with one another. We have to tolerate each other. Even if we don't agree with one another or don't like each other, we still have to love each other and bear with one another in love. Which leads me to the second thing that we have to do, which is to love each other. We have to fill our bucket with love which can be very challenging at times. It is hard to love people sometimes. But the Scriptures say that love covers a multitude of sins. Love forgives. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. In fact, it says this in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, I think that, I think that there might be some dual meaning in that. And in, in, in one way, I think that it means that when we love other people, it covers their mistakes. It covers their sins. Because we are loving them, their offense to us doesn't matter as much. But I also think that it means that when we love other people, our offenses are covered by our ability to love other people as well. And we've got to fill our bucket with love and patience. Because when we do, we are quickly on the road to stomping out pride in our life. It is really hard to love and be patient to someone while being prideful at the same time. It's very difficult. They just do not exist in the same place. Unhealthy pride cannot reside where love and patience live. So fill our lives. Love and patience. And then lastly, with humility. We've got to fill our buckets with humility. John Wooden, former coach of the UCLA basketball team, uh, he, he was perhaps one of the greatest coaches of all time. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know this for sure, but I'm certain that he's a Hall of Fame coach. If he's not, he better be. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I assumed that he was. Um, in all of his championships and all of his victories and all of his success. You know what you could find John Wooden doing in the middle of the week? Yeah. Yeah. 
Joel knows, going to a little broom closet, getting out a broom, and sweeping the gym floor every week. I'm sure he had people that could have done that for him. I'm sure that there were people who were below him that would have willingly done that for him. Yet he was willing to go every single week and get a broom and sweep the gym floor. Much in the same way that Jesus went and got a servant's towel and sat before his disciples and washed their dirty, stinky, gross feet. So we don't understand that in our context. I mean, our feet are gross. But if you walk for miles and miles with nothing but sandals on dirt and dust and grossness, no hammer toe that you ever have had is going to be as bad as that foot. That Ugh! There's an image right there, isn't it? Ugh! Yet he was willing to lower himself. We've got to be willing to go and get our broom or go and get the servant's towel and humble ourselves before others. Jesus did it to the point of death on a cross. Are we willing to lower ourselves before others so that they might know of the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus and the forgiveness that comes from a relationship with Him? Are we willing to not think so highly of ourselves, church, that we might reach some and let go of our pride in the process? So let me ask you, how are you doing, how are you living in the area of pride? Is it a problem? Is it, is it an area where maybe it's just a few things? Maybe it's not your whole life, but maybe it's an area, maybe it's in your marriage. It's, it's becoming a barrier in your marriage because you won't let go of your pride. Or maybe it's with your kids. It might not even be in your relationship with your kids. It might be in the way that you view your kids in light of other people's kids. How are you doing? Has, it, has pride snuck in and, and, and crept in an area of your life and it's dominating that part of your life? Is it trapping you? May we fill our bucket with patience and love and humility. Let us fill our buckets so full of the things of Jesus that pride has no place in our hearts. May we just literally dump it out and let Jesus reside in here. Amen? Amen. May we be the kind of church that says we're going to go and get the broom and we're going to start sweeping the floor. We're going to pray and we're not going to do any, anything special necessarily. If you want to pray and this is an area of your life where it's like, man, I'm really struggling. I really am struggling with pride. Then I challenge you to just to surrender that to Jesus. Just to come and, and ask Him to help you start filling your bucket with things like love and patience and humility and, and kindness and, and really just the fruit of the Spirit. We could just fill it full of those things so that pride cannot reside in your life. Let's pray together. Jesus, I ask that you would help us. Lord, help us that, to defeat pride in our life. 
May pride not take over our hearts. May it not trap us in any, in any way, shape, or form. God, protect us. Give us the strength and, and the willingness to fill our lives with the things of you. The things that push out pride and, and stomp it out in our lives. God, and if there's anybody in the room right now that, that says that pride has, has literally taken them over or it's affected a relationship or a marriage or, or, or their parenting, God, I pray that they would surrender that to you right now. Give them the strength and the courage to just lay that at your feet and humble themselves before you, God. Give us the strength to build this practice in our lives that we would not think too highly of ourselves, God. Help us, Lord. For without you, we are nothing. We love you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you'd go with us this week. Go with us into our week as we get into Monday and we get into work and, and whatever it is we've got going on this week, God, that you would help us to be more loving, more patient, and more humble. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, church, for being here. Please be here next week as we, as we do VBS and celebrate that and what God is doing in the lives of children. Um, we will not want to miss that. And then we'll finish this series up the week after that talking about jealousy. So have a great week.